Okay, before I get to my next guest, John Fote, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics, and their founder, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet, back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is John Fote. John is one of the top golf course architects in our game who also played out on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, and the Champions Tour. He's from Portland, Oregon, and he played his college golf at BYU, where he helped them win four WAC Conference Championships and 29 tournament titles. He won the Pacific Coast Amateur Championship in 1975 at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. He was also named an All-American in 1976, when he won two collegiate tournaments, helped BYU to the runner-up finish in the NCAA Tournament, and he played on the World Cup amateur team. That year, he also tied teammate Mike Reed for low amateur in the U.S. Open here at the Atlanta Athletic Club. 1977 was a big year for John. He was a member of the victorious U.S. Walker Cup team. He won the U.S. Amateur Championship and was also named U.S. Amateur Athlete of the Year. He turned pro later in 1977 and joined the PGA Tour in 1978. Got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1979 at the Buick Goodwrench Open in a playoff over Jim Simons. He backed that up, winning the very next week at the Anheuser-Busch Classic, and he was named the 1979 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. In the late 80s, he started John Fote Design and began designing golf courses. He originally worked with Bob Cup before going out on his own. Among his great works are Pumpkin Ridge in North Plains, Oregon, and redesigning Pine Needles Golf Club in North Carolina. He also redesigned the Dogwood and Azalea courses at the Country Club of Jackson, Mississippi, which is the site of the Sanderson Farms Championship on the PGA Tour. In 1995, John was inducted into the BYU Hall of Fame 
and in 2009, he was inducted into the Pacific Northwest Golf Association's Hall of Fame as well. I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much, Chris. It's uh, fun to talk with you for a while. John, I, I want to start our time tonight by going back, really, I guess, to the beginning of the game for you, because I read it was your grandmother that started you playing when you were seven years old. Talk about her. Yeah, that's exactly right. My uh, my parents had six children, and they were uh, to have one of them get out of the house, and I used to sneak out with my grandmother. She was learning to play golf, and I caddied for her at the beginning when I was about six or seven years old. And then she taught me a little bit how to play, and I just started whacking the ball around, which is which was fun. And I I actually played in the women's group on the public golf courses, which was hilarious. When I ended up winning the U.S. Amateur, I got notes from them, and I was an honorary member of their group, which was hilarious. Uh, but I <laughs> my grandmother was very special to me. And uh, she introduced me to my wife, and uh, so she was a big part of my life when I was young. And John, being from Portland, Oregon, curious, what got you to BYU? Uh, you know, I, I, it was really funny that I got recruit. I really didn't want to go to BYU. I was, you know, more settled on going to one of the southern schools. But I, I actually, uh, the coach had me stay with Johnny Miller. And, of course, back in those wow. days, Johnny Miller was the king. And I stayed with him for a few days. And after that, I was more than happy to uh, to go to BYU. It was, a, it was a great experience. I had the best teammates when I played there. Our first six guys all at some point in time went on the PGA Tour. And it was quite competitive for us to uh, be able to play against one another each day. And, John, talk about the rich history of golf there at, at BYU. You mentioned Johnny Miller, and I've had the privilege of having Zach Blair, Richard Zirkel, and, and Bobby Clampett as guests on the show. But you throw in Miller, Daniel Summerhays, Mike Weir. I mean, I could go on and on. BYU has had a heck of a men's golf program. Talk about the rich history there. Yeah, we did. Uh, Coach Tucker was as responsible as anybody for that. He was uh, He was a good recruiter. And, uh, and he always, he was kind of at the forefront. He always had us in uniforms. You know, we all wore the same thing before everybody else did years ago. And they were, and, and at that time we were a very competitive school, obviously. And, and the WAC, which is the, what we were in, had Arizona and Arizona State in it. And so we had a great, and he always took us to really good tournaments, mostly all on the West Coast. But um, we got a chance to play great golf courses against great people, great players, and it, it made us all better, really. And, John, you won the Northwest Open title, beating a guy that, as I read, became a, a friend of yours later on, Peter Jacobson, who was also from Oregon and was the reigning Pac-10 champion at the time. What do you remember about going head-to-head in that tournament against Jake? Well, you know, it was, I was quite fortunate. I was actually two shots down with three play. And I hit some rather miraculous shots, one of them out of the trees to about 10 feet and made it for birdie. And then I birdied the last hole as well. And we ended up in a playoff 
and uh, I won on the second hole. I, I mean, it was you know, I was very fortunate as we were walking up that last fairway. You know, there were all the people were out there congratulating because he still had a two shot lead. Unfortunately, he managed to three putt, and I managed to make about a twelve footer for birdie, and away we went into a playoff. And you know, I I think it's pretty hard to win a tournament after you basically got it won and then the whole world caves in on you. And the other guy makes two or three birdies coming in on the last couple holes and you just make one or two mistakes and all of a sudden you're tied. So, you know, it was it would have been a tough day for anybody to beat the other guy who's making birdies and you've got the tournament won and then it just total collapse. So uh but yeah, Peter and I played against each other a number of times. He he's he's a fantastic player and played very well on the PGA Tour. John, in 1976, not only did you tie teammate Mike Reed for low amateur at the U.S. Open, you also were right there on the leaderboard next to Arnold Palmer, who you also tied in that tournament. Had to be a huge thrill for you playing so well that week. Talk about what you remember about uh, that U.S. Open. You know, it was... uh... It was the first time I ever played. I've never played on greens that fast in my life. At that point, I hadn't played in a U.S. Open or any of our Masters or any of those things. And I remember walking out to the to the putting green the very first day, getting there, dropping three balls, and I stood over the putt about 25 feet, and I hit it 25 feet past. And then the next putt, I hit about 15 feet past. I stepped back and said, okay, this is going to be different. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, I learned a lot about competitive golf. I played a practice round with Johnny Miller and I played a practice round with Billy Casper, uh, and some other guys. And boy, I just soaked it in, you know, it was really, it was really fun to play that golf tournament. It was, it was so big and it was, you know, it was just a cool thing. I, it, I'd never had a chance to play in anything that big before. And, you know, when you make a birdie, the whole place erupts, you know, cause there's galleries everywhere. I just remember it just being such an incredible experience and one that, you know, you just want to keep doing. John, 1977 was an amazing year for you. First, let's talk about winning the U.S. Amateur. You did so at Aronimic Golf Club outside of Philadelphia. You won your 36-hole final match, 9-8. and eight. Talk about what it was like achieving that goal by that margin. Well, it really goes back to the year before uh, when we played at Bel Air in Los Angeles. I was two up with three to play, and I lost the match. I lost the last three holes. And I just remember just the dejection of feeling like I had just failed in every sense of the word. And I just wanted to take one more shot at it. I really wanted to have a chance to win that tournament. It's the U.S. Amateur is just such a cool event. And of course it was all match play back in those days. You started with 200 players. And, uh, but the week before I had played the Walker cup in 1977, I played four matches, which means I played, 36 holes a day and our captain was having us play 36 holes a day in the practice round. So by the time I got to Aronimek, I was bush to say the least. I was playing very well, 
But fortunately, in those days, I got a bye the first round. Uh, I don't know if I could have made it because you had two or three days where you had, if you made it towards the end, you had to play 36 holes a day. And I remember, uh, the thing I remember the most was just the second day, the, the, uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, I beat Denny Giles in the morning match, um, like two up, two and one. And in the afternoon, I played Jay Siegel on his home golf course. And uh, that was one of the biggest crowds I ever played golf in front of. There was about, they were about four to six deep surrounding every hole. And there wasn't anybody in that gallery except maybe my wife who was pulling for me. And, uh, you know, that was, that was quite an event. And, uh, you know, I met, I hit a couple of uh, career shots from being in trouble and a couple of times pitch shots through some things and, and managed to make birdie, got to the last hole and, uh, managed to, I drove it in the middle of the fairway, had a little mud on my ball and it was just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. And anyway, so Jay and I drove it together, and I was one up going into the last hole, and I hit a like a six iron about three feet. And I just I said, you know what, I'm not going to let that bother me. And it was probably one of the greatest shots I've ever hit. And I hit it about three feet. He was in, he hit it in the bunker and blasted out, and he walked over. And he said, that was such a great shot. You deserve to win. And I'll <laughs> never forget those two rounds. Those two rounds playing two U.S. Amateur champions. And Jay, of course, I think won a couple of times. And and Vinny, who is one of the great amateurs of all time, and having to play them the same day and in Philadelphia at that particular time of the year was, you know, it was 89 degrees and about the same humidity. So it was, you had to be in your early 20s to be able to make it through. And uh, And I just remember, you know, playing extremely well the last day and just driving it right in the middle of the fairway, every hole. And I was probably driving it, you know, 30, 40 yards past my opponent. Uh, Doug Fischer is a terrific guy, but it, just that particular day, I had my game on A, and I drove it in the middle of every fairway. And I think I was, I was under par. Golf course was playing extremely difficult at that time. And uh, I, I, it was exciting, uh, believe me. And, when you get down, you don't want to let up because when you do, you can start the momentum going the other way. I, I just remember, you know, I remember a lot of what happened, even though it was such a long time ago. It was, uh, it was really fun. John, you mentioned those Walker Cup matches that you played in prior to that. And that year, the matches were played at Shinnecock Hills. Augusta National Chairman Fred Ridley was a member of that team, as were Gary Hallberg, Jay Siegel, who you mentioned, Scott Simpson, among others. Sandy Lyle was a member of the Great Britain and Ireland team. Talk about getting to be a part of those matches. I just remember being incredibly proud to represent the United States. It was a truly an honor to be able to be out there. And anybody that doesn't, I've said this many times, it's hard for me to imagine somebody not just, you know, coming to almost tears when you see those bagpipes coming up the hill and your flag flying and you realize you're representing, you know, the 300 million people that live in that, in, in the United States. I mean, it's pretty cool. And uh, I just remember I playing really, really well. My partner and I, Vance Hefner 
and I were the number one like doubles team. So we played both, both matches. Uh, in fact, we, I think we played, there was three of them. So we, uh, we played four matches and one of them was singles, but, uh, I was fortunate to have won every match and we played Sandy Lyle in one of the doubles matches. And, but our, we, our game was just tuned right in and we were driving the ball well and, and Vance and I were great friends and we just enjoyed the opportunity to play together in that event. We played our practice rounds together and our, our captain, Lou Emig, put us together and just let us go. And, uh, we were very fortunate to have won. John, in 1979, you get your first win on tour at the Buick Goodwrench Open. You get it done in a playoff. What was it like for you coming down the stretch trying to win your first PGA Tour event? It, it, <laughs> it's amazing, quite frankly. I got the last hole at Warwick Hills is about a 485 yard par four without a bounds left and bunkers on the right. I had not made par on that hole until the last day. And I had, in fact, I'd made double bogey on the hole one day. And I looked at my caddy because I wasn't watching the board at that time. And I just said, you know, what do we have to do? And he looked at me and says, you have to make three to get in a playoff. I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> at least I know what I have to do now. And I just hit the perfect drive. I just crushed it right down the middle and actually had like an eight iron in. And I hit it about 12 feet and just, Got up over the putt and lined it up. Didn't think about it much and knocked it in the middle of the hole. And I was uh, I was really fortunate. Jim Simons on the first playoff hole hit a very poor iron shot. He'd been in the clubhouse for probably 45 minutes, and I was still going strong. And uh, he pulled it, and uh, he made bogey, and I hit the ball in the middle of the green. And... Uh, made par and won, and I have pictures of that. My wife is just sobbing. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was fun. It was, uh, really, really, you know, it's, a, it's an accomplishment to win an event on the PGA Tour. It really is. It's, it's an amazing, you're beating the best players in the world and at the top of their game. And it's, it was just fun. That's all. And not only did you win that week, you back it up the following week and uh, you go back to back, which, like you say, it's not it's never easy to win a PGA Tour event, one PGA Tour event, let alone do it two weeks in a row. And during a time when I mean, so many of the greatest players, you know, of our generation, I mean, Jack and Seve and Trevino, Watson, Watkins, you go on and on. So many of those legends are at the peak of their powers at that time in the 70s. Looking back, knowing that you did it two weeks in a row has just got to be something that fills you with a lot of pride. And what a tremendous accomplishment. Well, it's a, it was a great, you know, I kind of backed into the, the second one. I uh, I was coming down the last few holes and I was not really that much in contention. I was three or four shots back coming into the last hole. And I had figured Lou Graham had, was going to win the tournament. You know, he was up on me by like four shots. What I didn't realize is that he made two double bogeys in a row, which is, I, I can't even, I still can't believe he did that. 
And I got to the last hole, looked up on the board and saw he did that. I'm like, it's a par five. I'm like, hey, if I make birdie here, I could get in a playoff. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I hit the ball. I pitched the ball about 20 feet and knocked it right in the middle of the hole. And which was fun. I thought, well, I'm going to make it in the playoff. There was two or three other guys and none of them made birdie on the last hole, which was shocking to me because it was a reachable five. And, uh, I drove it in the left rough and had to play short off the tee. And so by making that birdie, I didn't even, I wasn't even in a playoff. I just won it straight up. I mean, it was, you know, after the week before, I, I couldn't believe I was winning another event. Uh, and so it was, I, I kind of backed into it. It was uh last man standing, so to speak. So it, it was a, it was a, a fun accomplishment, something completely unexpected. Like I said, uh, so that was, that was quite a deal. John, fast forward a few years, you finished. Fifth at the 1983 PGA Championship, which was won by Hal Sutton. Peter Jacobson would, would finish third. Your team, Mike Reed, tied for ninth. You never left the top of that leaderboard. You were right there in the mix every day. Talk about that week at Riviera Country Club. Well, Riviera is one of my favorite golf courses. And I love the golf course because it's a golf course that you either, if you're playing well, you can score. If you aren't playing well, it just beats you up. I mean, you just, you don't luck into a good round there or anything. And that particular week, uh, up until the last day, I just played great. The last round I was, I, I, I was paired with Hal Sutton and Ben Crenshaw. And for whatever reason, I just could not make a putt that day because I was in the hunt and Hal played spectacular i mean he did all the things that a champion does and uh ben did not have a good day that day and i for whatever reason my putter just got cold which that happens in events i just could not make putts that day i think i shot like even or one under or something but i just couldn't get it going all day long but it was it was still a lot of fun to be in the last group and have a chance to win a championship like that on a great golf course. I, uh, I'll never forget that either. That was, that was really fun. John, and your back to back victories in 79 got you into the 1980 Masters where you finished tied for 33rd. But what a wonderful thing to go play at Augusta National. I'm always curious. What does it feel like when you go to the mailbox, get the letter out and you see you've got, you've got an invitation there from the Augusta National Golf Club? Actually, I played in the Masters three times. I played as, three times. I played as an amateur in 1977. So that was actually my second, you know, I played in the, I played it in 1977. I played in 1980 because I won in 1979. And then I played again after I finished high in, in the, in the uh, PGA. You know what? I, I have those invitations framed and they were three different chairmans, but boy, you know, having the opportunity to play in the Masters, which is really the cathedral to the game of golf is really, really cool. And I, 
And the interesting thing is, I think the first time I played, I have a, my invitation is from Clifford Roberts. So it might have been like his last time that he was alive, that he was actually the chairman. So, uh, but I remember playing in the Masters. It was my first time. It was, you know, you play, the amateurs play with former champions. And I was paired with like Art Wall. And I'll never forget, I got up in those days, the tees were shorter. We were using wooden-headed clubs. But I drove it over the first, I drove it over the bunker on number one, hit a wedge in about 12 feet and made it for birdie. And I thought to myself, it's not going to get any better than this. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was fun. You know, but I, what you have, the Masters does such a good job of making your week memorable. I had, I made three eagles when I played in that event over the years. And I have glasses. You know, you get stubing for certain things. And, you know, I, I have three children, so they'll each get two of them. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> what a wonderful, what a wonderful memory that was being able to play in that event. <clears throat> Never finished high enough as high as I would have liked to have, but the experience of playing there was just awesome. It was, it's a great place to play golf. And as everybody knows, uh, it's very special. Uh, to be able to drive up Magnolia Lane and be able to hit yeah. balls alongside, you know, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and have the opportunity to play on that golf course, uh, which is, you know, historically is one of the greats. John, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to switch gears over over to your course design work. Start, talk about... What happened and, and how you got started doing course design and, and uh, falling in love with that aspect of the game now? You know, it's, it's interesting. It, playing in the early 80s, I was paired with Nicholas in an event. And, of course, players do chat a little when they're on the golf course. And I just started asking questions because I lived in Portland, Oregon, and they had never had any kind of a major still haven't had a major championship in in my lifetime. They had the PGA there one year, but it was Ben Hogan won it in, you know, I think it was 1947. But um, never had the U.S. Open, and I just thought, you know, why couldn't we build a golf course like that? And I kept talking to Jack about it, and he said, you know, you really have a keen interest in this. Why don't you talk to my senior designer, Bob Cup? And he and I struck up a friendship. Bob is uh, Bob is gone now, but I mean, he is, he was such a fun person to chit chat with. And I called him all the time. He was so nice to me. And I just enjoyed the opportunity to learn. And all of a sudden he just told me, he says, you know, you have an aptitude for this. You ought to think about doing this someday. Well, as it turns out in 85, I ruined my, not ruined, but I screwed up my spine and it, gave me a lot of time to think about something else and uh and that's how I got in design it was really a help from Jack Nicholas and Bob Cup and it was also uh just my burning desire to do something different i i found that that i could draw plans that i could do those kinds of things and i could find some work pumpkin ridge was really a, a major event uh for me in my life 
because I had the opportunity to learn so much. I was out there every single day. Bob, of course, living on the East Coast, would come intermittently once or twice a month. And, and it was just a, it was just so much fun to learn. And I just got hooked and I just got to the point where I, I wanted to study everything about design. I have six or 700 books. I have, you know, I fortunate I've traveled all over around the world and played golf and it just became so interesting to me an obsession. And it was a great pathway when I couldn't really play anymore because of my spine issues. Uh, it really became a fantastic part of my life. It's very creative, but at the same time, it also has to be practical. And for me, I just love doing design. It's, I just love it. Every single time I have the chance to do it, I do it, uh, in it with, with passion and, and I love it. And, uh, I learned so much from Bob. It was, uh, it was really, really fun learning and learning to think a different way. When you're playing golf, you're just trying to shoot the lowest possible score. <laughs> However you do it. And, uh, but I was fortunate enough to, you know, rely on some of those past experiences and, and being able to do the things that I did in the game of golf before I became an architect really helped me then just learning all the technical skills that it takes to do it. So it's been a passion and I enjoy it and it will probably do it till the day I die. John, one more before I let you go. And a mutual friend of ours, Mitch Lawrence, wanted me to say hello to you and how much he has enjoyed getting to spend some time with you and your work out at Pine Needles. As you know, Mitch is just one of the finest people on the planet and has a great podcast of his own, Talking Golf Getaways, which, uh, folks, you need to be sure that you add that to your golfing content because Mitch and Darren do such a wonderful job. John, I want to talk about Pine Needles and the work you did there. Talk about that project. You know, I, I first of all, Mitch is such a good guy. Uh, I actually had the yeah, opportunity some years ago to uh, to work on that project, a restoration of a Ross, and then make some adjustments to it to maybe make it play for today's golfer. And and then I had a second opportunity to actually. Uh, actually finish a golf course that Donald Ross never had the chance really to finish in Wilmington, North Carolina, which was where I actually first met Mitch. Uh, I had the opportunity, uh, because when I say it was never finished, it was sand green when it was finished. And before Ross was able to, he never finished the golf course. He never actually did his final design. I had the opportunity to do that and it seems to be climbing in the ratings it's just a fun place i mean how many places in the world can you go and play a donald ross golf course and it's a municipal golf course so you know i have some great experiences in north carolina i love that state so much i i always tell people you know if i wasn't a if i didn't live in north carolina my wife was here my kids live here i would I probably moved to North Carolina. I just, I love that state. It has so many cool things and Pinehurst, Pine Needles, both are wonderful tests of golf. And then being able to go to Wilmington and, and sh work in Charlotte and some of those places, it's just been a great, enjoyable experience to work there. 
John, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they learn more about you, stay up to date with the great things you're doing, and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? I am not the biggest social media guy. I do have a website, boatdesign.net. But I just, you know, I I deal, I take care of my own stuff. People have called me all the time and asked me questions, which I really don't mind. I have an office number here. I live in Scottsdale and I travel a great deal. I, I like to go look at golf courses. So anybody that talks to me knows I'm extremely passionate. And, uh, I'm not the biggest on social media. I will. I'm not on Twitter or some of those things, but I, I do have a Facebook account and, uh, I do put pictures of projects up there occasionally. I have several I'm going to be putting up there in the near term. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight and, uh, coming to be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Thank you, Chris. All the best to you and all your listeners. That is the great John Fote, and his, uh, the spelling of his last name is F-O-U-G-H-T, and FoteDesign.net is the website. What a tremendous college amateur and pro career John had, and uh, looking forward to having him back and uh, hearing more about those stories of, of his time in college and then uh, through the 70s and uh, early part of the 80s out on tour, and then obviously catching up on a lot of the great design work he's doing now. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Tim Cusick, Bob Byman, Shane LeBaron, and John Fote for joining me tonight. Folks, please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patchery, will be back as will LPGA legend Jane Blaylock. Really looking forward to catching back up with Jane again. Another one of the great instructors in our game, Nancy Corsolino, will be making her second visit with me this season. And then we'll round out the show with CEO of Swing U, Charles Cox, making his next On the Tee debut. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Thank you again for listening to this show tonight and for continuing to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.